0: He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. The lifestyle trade-off is just so tremendous. And it's something people have always known that, right? People have yeah. known that lifestyle, you know, that, that quality of life is better in Barcelona or Buenos Aires than New York or San Francisco. They just haven't had a choice, right? Their job was in New York or San Francisco. And now that's not the case. So when you when you really step back and look at it, it it's it's super compelling. I think by, by April or May again, the... People will still be working remote. Travel will be much more palatable. Yeah. And I think it'll become super interesting. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform.
1: This is the Vacation Rental Mastermind Series, the Operator's Edition. In early 2020, I did the same series featuring the service providers in the vacation rental space. Now, after the year that we just had in 2020, I think it's time that we showcase those who have been really leading the charge and having the boots on the ground during this crazy pandemic. In this short series, we're going to focus on what makes a sustainable and profitable vacation rental management company and why it's so key to learn these tools, tactics, and of course, structures that make these companies the way they are. So sit back, grab your pen and paper, drink your coffee, and enjoy the Vacation Rental Mastermind Series, Operator's Edition. Everybody, welcome back to Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and today's an interesting episode because I uh, rarely get to interview some uh, property management giants, and uh, to have Parker from Oasis on the on the show is a pretty substantial, uh, I think, moment for for the for the Slick Talk uh, brand. So, thank you, Parker, for joining me. Uh, welcome to the podcast.
0: Of course, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, vacation rental giant.
1: I love it. Yeah, no, we got to we got to highlight some of the amazing operators. You know, we've we've seen the um, the popularity right in vacation rentals, especially in 2019. I think we were all loving the market and the economy that we were having, and then of course 2020 uh, threw in some curveballs, and now here we are, the first couple of weeks of 2021, and you know, there's been, we've seen a lot of people come and go, and Unfortunately, you know it's never a great time to go through a hard time in the world, and let alone our industry. So it's nice to have uh, have you on to bring some insight. I know the listeners are going to get some value from this, so that's why I'm really excited. And I'm calling you the giant that you are, right? Perfect. So Parker, <laughs> take it. yes, uh, my man. So tell us a little bit about you. You're an entrepreneur, and from what I gathered, you know, with our little pre-chat and, and going through. Your your career, uh, this is not your first rodeo when it comes to being an entrepreneur, and so I kind of want to hear your background and how you got uh, to the moment. that so we are you know obviously here today. Sure,
0: yeah, definitely kind of kind of always always been an entrepreneur in some some form or fashion. It's definitely been one of the kids that you know went door to door offering to rake leaves and lawns, or did the, you know lemonade stands, baseball card trading, all all, all of the above. Um, and in college, I ran a student owned uh, food delivery business kind of a, a, a while ago. So kind of a precursor to you know, before DoorDash and, and all those guys. Uh, so that was kind of my first true entrepreneurial experience. It was great to be able to have that at the college level. I then took a bit of a um, uh, I guess diversion from entrepreneurship and worked in finance in New York City for the first uh, year or so of my career. Um, got some great experience, but quickly sort of reaffirmed I, I, I preferred the entrepreneurial route. Uh, worked in the film. Then from then on, I did. Uh, I was in New York seven years total. I worked in the film business. I worked at Miramax Films. I did some sort of, you know, freelance, you know, independent film work. I did some stuff in events. I uh, bought and operated a Quiznos franchise in Midtown Manhattan. So really yeah, trying to, you know, just just do different things and and, and get experience in my 20s. Um, and then when I was 29, I I had had a lot of great experience. New York's the best, but uh, I'd only ever lived in the US. Uh, but I was an avid, avid traveler and sort of loved international travel, loved the idea of, of living abroad and, and and spending some time in another culture. So I moved to Argentina, kind of random, just you know, made a list of cities. Like the idea of Buenos Aires, it was about to be summer there. It was inexpensive. So um, made, made, made that call. And while I was down there, I originally you know booked a, an apartment for four months. And while I was down there, two things happened in those four months. One, I really liked it. And I, I wanted to find a, a sort of justification to, to stay. I uh, didn't think four months would be enough. And also kind of through my own experience in you know, that sort of expat, world, um, you know, trying to find a place to live, trying to make friends, figure out which gym to join, um, learn, you know, find a Spanish tutor. I, I really kind of zeroed in on the idea of creating a, a business um, targeting that type, that demographic, you know, basically making it easier for people to have those kind of experiences, right? So um, this was, I moved there in 2007, um, took sort of a first crack at the model, um, as more of an, uh, a real estate play. We, I raised some money from friends who had backed me on my, my Quiznos venture in New York city, um, bought, uh, kind of dilapidated, but, you know, high potential, um, properties in one neighborhood of Buenos Aires, Palermo, which is like the cool up and coming neighborhood at the time. And, uh, sort of Renovated them, furnished them, and and kind of put them. Created this portfolio of rental properties targeting expat, you know, what, some vacation travelers, but vacation travelers slash slash expats, and uh, you know that was that was going along okay, and and, and with that that kind of again c- cemented my my desire to do something in that sort of hospitality travel space to stay in Argentina, and uh, ended up staying there for eight years, so. That's kind of how it all how it all happened.
1: I was gonna say I got I got one question in regards to the food delivery side. Were you doing pen and paper, phone calls? What was like the 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 setup? Um, Obviously you weren't doing smartphones.
0: It was phone calls, yep. So we so we had sort of a a central a little central call center um, on on campus, and then we had our delivery folks in each restaurant. We we serviced like five restaurants around 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 campus. And we would, we, there, there were computers, wasn't that long ago. This was <laughs> yeah, like yeah. 90, 96 to 99. Okay. And, uh, and so we, we take calls, yeah. type them into, you know, type them into an interface, the, a, a ticket would print out in the restaurant. Um, and, uh, and the, the guy would make, make the delivery run. So
1: that's incredible. Yeah. I was born in 95. So for me, like, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't know what, what a computer was until I got like way older. Um, obviously, just because I d- didn't know how to use one. Uh, but no, that's pretty cool. And so when you were in the finance world, what uh, what was the? I, I guess I'm curious on knowing the moment that it solidified you're like I I I'm not a worker. I'm a creator. Like well, I I kind of am always curious on thinking of because I remember my moment where I was like, yeah, I I I, I can't be working for, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, nothing yeah. against it. It's just, but no, but more was, of, I mean,
0: it's a great, it's a great career for many people. Right. Yeah, um, it's exactly. all about, it's all about what speaks to you. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I went into it knowing I probably, it was more about the experience. I, I sort hmm. of thought I'd probably do two or three years. I only did one. Um, and, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I, had that orientation going in, uh, but, you know, just kind of th- throughout, throughout the, that year, you know, just, Kind of had some more uh thoughts about what i would do if i wasn't doing that and and you know and living in new york city um you know you meet meet so many people who are doing so many different things i never yeah. thought about you know the film business is something you could even i had no idea what it was other as a business right so yeah. so living in new york say wow like i love movies and film you can actually have a job in that that's amazing so, uh, you know, at a, at a general level, just sort of, I think, being in New York and being around you know, creative people and, and, and seeing so much opportunity. Um, and then there was a moment at kind of the end of my first year when, you know, in investment banking, you get utterly drilled, you know, and, and you get very few days off. And finally, mm-hmm. at the end of my first year, I had I had a few days off and uh, went to Vegas with uh, my dad come out and went with a bunch of friends and like 36 hours into a three-day trip. They're like, hey, you got to come back, you know, got to come back and, and work on something. And I was like, yeah. man, like I just, <laughs> I don't think so.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome. So, so, well, okay. Now, now getting back to the, the property management side of things. So you have these properties in Argentina, um, they were, I'm assuming starting out, were you guys more focused on the long-term kind of guest traveler like yourself that was there for four months or were you going on the vacation rental side where it was like, you know, weekend trips, maybe a couple of days here and there. X, Y? And Z? It was a
0: mix, you know, I think at, at the start because we were a little more oriented towards the product itself since we, we, you know, we bought and renovated and furnished, you know, the first chunk of properties. This, this wasn't even Oasis. This is the first kind of the first you know yeah. iteration of what I did. Um, and it was sort of like, hey, who, you know, let's put this on a few channels. And if I get through a personal contact, someone wants to stay for six months, great. If yeah. you know you, you get someone for three days, that's fine too. So originally it was again more about kind of the, the product itself and creating kind of a, you know, I we spoke about like a deconstructed boutique hotel where mm-hmm. again um, back then it was either you know it's a hotel or it's a sort of standalone direct to owner rental right and, yeah. and i wanted to do something that sort of had the positive elements of the hotel experience the branding the service the consistency etc um but what was you know were apartments and houses physically right mm-hmm. um so it was a lot about creating that product um and that service experience then as I, I sort of learned more um and the vacation rental business kind of started to get to get some steam um i Pivoted to creating Oasis as a service, not a real estate business, but as a service brand, as a you know mm-hmm. a, a management brand. And when we did that, it was it was still a bit of a blend, but I would say a bit more vacation rental. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in the early days, uh, we we had you know, some of the second and third, fourth markets that we opened, a couple were pure vacation markets. There was like a, Europe, in Uruguay, which borders Argentina, there was a, a beach place. So it was beach houses and, and Punta del Este. It was Buenos Aires, which did a little bit of both. Um, it was Cartagena in Colombia. Um, but, and, and then it was, you know, a Sao Paulo, which is much more of a urban kind of corporate extended state. So, so we did a little bit of both. Um, and ultimately, you know, kind of fast forwarding qu- quite a bit, um, you know, got, got to a point where you really had to pick, pick one of the two and we go mm-hmm. into some of the, the ups and downs maybe later. But, you know, I got to a point um, a few years ago where, where we said you can't try to do a little bit of everything. And I, I thought there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of supply and a lot of smart folks focused on the, on the short-term rental space. Um, the pure VR short-term rental space and, and really began to lean in more on the extended stay and the sort of urban extended stay versus kind of leisure vacation rental orientation.
1: Mm-hmm. So what was, I guess, maybe the leading factor for you to, to decide to go that route? Because like, obviously there's a lot of different brands that go into like corporate housing, strictly only, no vacation rental type model where it's leisure or, you know, the more uh, extended stay route, but I'm, I'm guessing maybe like the one or two factors that led into that decision.
0: competition one, just trying to sort of, you know, be, bring something to the market that I didn't think was, was there. And I think yeah. if you wanted to book a place for two nights in, in Boston, I think that's, that's pretty easy to do, you know, and, and probably find a pretty decent product. But if you're going to Bogota for six weeks or three months, it's, it's a lot harder. Um, mm-hmm. So, so part of it was just kind of you know, refocusing on how we could add the most value to the market, um, and then the other is is from a business model perspective. Um, you know, and operating at a high level in, in the short term rental business it is hard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's quite it's quite expensive, and and if you're doing it, if your orientation is around high service, to do that on a high turnover. Um, you know, two nights here, one night there, groups of six, you know, the, the, that's tough to execute. So just from a pure business model perspective, mm-hmm. I like the extended stay. It's sort of, you know, for, for the, the same booking could be three nights or 60 nights, and it's about the same amount of work, but mm-hmm. it's 20x the, <laughs> the, the revenue or or, yeah. or 15x. So it, th- those are a, a, couple, a couple of the factors. Also, I, I think then, you know, in more recent days, obviously, um, with the whole remote work push. And, you know, it really kind of, it really takes me back to the beginning in terms of, you know, what, what was the original orientation of what we did is about Mm. making it possible to go live in other places. You know, I I wanted to go live somewhere that wasn't New York City, and I wasn't going to go sign a 12 month lease somewhere and do a security deposit and buy furniture. So, you know, how can we, Address this, you know, audience, this market, where you know so many people in the world now can can and should, in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, live a more uh, a more flexible you know lifestyle and not be tethered to one real estate you know piece of real estate. So yeah, yeah, that couple of the trends that uh, there were a couple of reasons that I pushed more towards this a few years ago, and that's really kind of been. Uh, re um accentuated i guess it's been accentuated by the pandemic
1: yeah i was just gonna say that like leads in perfectly because when when we were running our luxury vacation homes like we saw the same thing where you know when you have a 22,000 square foot castle and it costs you fifteen hundred or not fifteen hundred thousand fifteen hundred dollars to to turn over and cleaning um a two-night booking is not worth your time in effort versus a 12 plus night you know, booking. Um, So that makes a lot more sense. And like, I love that you said that too, the going back into the origin of where you started, because I think um, I was just talking about this with somebody else the other day, you know, we can create our core values and mission statements as companies, right. And then to see them like, you know, that the core values and mission statement really tell the story of like how you started, what the goals are, where you aspire to be. And then eventually throughout somewhere along the journey, they kind of get lost and and like where they started. So it's really cool to hear that you went right back to the beginning and and made that pivot, which is really smart for you because obviously pandemic times uh we saw a lot of like I think April was a little bit crazier. We're coming up 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 on almost a year, um, you know, with the whole COVID-19 pandemic. And so uh to I think from like April time was probably a little bit scarier for a lot of it almost everybody. Um, But now here we are almost a year later, seeing that that work from anywhere trend, um, which led in great, uh, great context for for you guys creating the passport. So I guess maybe give me some thoughts and thinkings and, and some, uh, I guess, moments that led into, obviously, that's the business model you went into, but then creating the Oasis uh, passport, what were some I guess behind the scenes things that most people don't know like I saw you guys on skift and a few other like news articles and got really excited about it because I was like yes this is something as a young well, kind of single you know not married not kids uh entrepreneur like a, that type of lifestyle is really attractive especially when we've been cooped up for 12 months
0: yeah yeah you know I, I think it was um you know a bit of a of a natural like in terms of seeing, seeing the trend that everyone, yeah, you know, began to talk about, or even even before they were talking about it, maybe it became clear that wow, you know, just anecdotally, you know, now that you know folks don't need to go to the office every day, sort of travel res- hesitancy and restrictions aside, you know folks that are based in New York or San Francisco that are expensive and their places are small and, you know, they're, maybe you need public transport, which obviously during the pandemic is not, is not good times. Um, uh, you know, they, they they were, they were looking to go elsewhere, whether it was go stay with their parents and, you know, who, who live somewhere more remote or go to Mm -hmm. Miami for two months. Like, you know, I live in Miami and, and I was seeing it with my own eyes or certainly hearing about people that wanted to do that. So, you think, okay, that's a trend happening, and we have inventory around the world in very interesting cities. Some of them, maybe places like London, would not be, uh, you know, not fall into yeah. this category because London is probably more a place people are leaving at this point, right? Yeah. Uh, but many of which fall into to to a category of a very um, attractive places that people would want to spend time if they if they could, and we'd already sort of. Adapted our, our focus and our inventory towards extended stays, right? So we don't work with primary residences. We don't work with, you know, we don't have um, master leases where we've sort of got to generate, we've got to generate a certain ADR to, you know, to survive. Um, you know, we do management agreements. We work with, you know, unoccupied sort of second homes or investment properties. So we sort of, the trend was there from the demand side. We had the supply so it was really just about a packaging sort of exercise um so i probably i started to, to speak to some people about it in pretty early probably probably may or june um hey you know just sort of uh user interviews basically and 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 thought there was enough there and again given that we already have a brand that was kind of relevant Enough to the space that I was I was thinking about addressing. We had the supply. I knew the demand was there. It, you know, it, it didn't take a ton of you know of 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 R and D you know investment. It, it was really just the kind of the, the brain power and the kind of the strategy behind it, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just kind of kind of put it together um, on our own uh, based on some some of those user interviews and yeah, push it out there in September. But what it is to take a step back is. It is. I think of it more as a, a residential living concept than a travel concept, yeah. um, because because you know if you're looking to you know if you've got more freedom and flexibility now and you're just looking to travel more, there there you know you can do you can do that renting Airbnbs on a one off basis. There are some you know Salinas come out with a subscription product. Um, you know, Inspirato at the higher end has a subscription product, but those are all based on, those are sort of travel, sort of shorter stay, one-off situations. This is really a replacement for a house or apartment. So you pay a fixed monthly fee and you can live in any one of the currently 400 portfolio properties around 15 cities in the world. You You can move between them. So No individual bookings, no security deposits, no, you know, no utility bills, no, you know, none of the sort of uh, overhead that comes with a a permanent residence Mm -hmm. and none of the hassle or friction that comes with booking individual stays, you know, all over the place, right? So it's quite it's it's super seamless. It's quite affordable. The entry point, depending on this, we have three tiers of cities because um, yeah. Paris is obviously more expensive than Buenos Aires. But with, within a city tier, uh, you can use any property. And the tier one is fifteen hundred fifty dollars a month, and that's again all in utilities, Wi-Fi, professional housekeeping, um, you know, fairly white glove, you know, concierge service because we have teams in every market. Uh, so you know, fifteen fifty is an entry point, uh, or twenty one hundred for a two bedroom. You know, it's it's pretty accessible for for yeah. for quite a an impactful product. I feel right. <clears throat> so that's the I was idea. Say uh, uh,
1: for, yeah. Seattle a rent for a, a closet is two thousand a month. So and that's yeah. unfurnished, not including utilities, with no parking and no view.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that life, the lifestyle trade-off is just so tremendous and it's something people have always known that, right. People have known that lifestyle, you know, that the quality of life is better in Barcelona or Buenos Aires than New York or San Francisco. They just haven't had a choice, right. Their job was in New York or San Francisco and now that's not the case. So when you, when you really step back and look at it, it, it's, it's super compelling, obviously caveat right now, Mm -hmm. tough to, you know, the globetrotting thing isn't really it's not viable especially for Americans given mm-hmm. you know our, the tra- travel bans on us specifically mm-hmm. um but you know that that that's short lived. I mean that's you know luckily you know that that's going to sort of sort itself out you know by Q2 I think so you know yeah in in, in the meantime you know they're they're you know so, some people may, may be hesitant to do it, but, but others may not. Other Others may, <clears throat> may, may want to say, hey, what if your destinations are open? Um, we are in a few US markets, Austin, Miami, Denver. Um, some of the Latin markets that we're in are, are open. Again, people have to make their own call on, on their comfortability going yeah. places. So, <clears throat> but I, I think by, by April or May again, the, people will still be working remote. Travel will be much more palatable yeah. And I think it'll become super interesting.
1: I'm curious. Was your um, your the guests that you served prior to pandemic times? Um, mm. Were they already that type of demographic that was traveling and working from yeah. a laptop type nomad? Pr-
0: pr- pretty much. You know, it was a, 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 it was definitely in terms of uh, sort of age and type of job and and, uh, and, and where they where they probably live full time, quite quite similar. Um, mm. it, it was, and it was either folks that were already somewhat digital nomadi or employees of corporations that were being moved around by yeah. the companies, you know, McKinsey or, you know, Google or whoever moving you around. But then that, that end, the, 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 person was, was the same. They may have been sent there by their company or they may have been able to go the, on, on their own. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so definitely that, that made it easier for me to sort of identify that that target audience and you know I, I'm pretty close to it as well I'm a little I'm 43 so I'm probably kind of at the but I also like I don't have kids right yeah. I don't have pets like I, I'm, I'm a pretty uh pretty mobile you know yeah. um uh asset light kind of kind of guy but I'm probably at like the, to- the the top end kind of age-wise of, of the demographic of the mm-hmm. core demographic uh, I mm-hmm. hope we have people from all, from all, all ages but I think I see the wheelhouse is really that sort of like late twenties to mid thirties, you know, single or in a couple, probably no kids, and yeah. someone who can say like, "Wow, asset like, light, yeah, asset light." Let's get give up my apartment, or if I own it, you know, put a renter in there and sort of just take to the, you know, take to the streets and, and, yeah. and get out there a little bit.
1: Well, and now can I, I there's a couple of other things I want to touch on, but the first one would be for the creation of the passport. Um, so tell me about like that, um, how, operations wise, that's, so if I'm in any city and there's all these, you know, let's say you got 30, uh, 30 units in Austin, right? I'm not, I'm not sure if that's a real number, but I'm just throwing something out there like uh, in that range Yep. Yeah. Theoretically. Uh, so you can, what, is, what does that look like structure wise when I'm booking as a guest if i'm in austin and i want to like because you said it's not that individual you know book check out book check out book check out how does that work from a operation standpoint for you guys and oasis and and your team
0: sure so yeah i mean you are still you know you obviously we we have to prepare the prepare prepare the property for you and whatnot so you're you're still letting us know you're saying hey i want to you know my my first day was in austin i've been there a Mm -hmm. month um, I, I now want to go check out Miami. Um, so I I want to head there in a week and we say, cool, you know, either you've already seen it on the website or or are you, you know, you ask us what's available. We say these, you say, okay, I want that, and and we do book it for you, but there's no gotcha. transaction. You're you're yeah. just you you're you're just advising us, you know, that you want to um to move to a different property, you can do the same thing in the, in, in the city itself. By the way, say you were staying in a one-bedroom in Austin, you had friends or family coming to visit. You could you could flex up to a two-bedroom, and as long as there's availability, get, let us know. We arrange the check-in, um, and, and and that's that. Um, we have we do have again folks on the ground in every 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 market, so there is a little bit of a, a white-glove concierge element to it. Yeah. Um, again, operationally, not that ha- easier to execute given these are extended stays, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and we've got sort of from a facilities perspective, um, you know, a lot of our, of our, uh, our properties have kind of amen- building amenities and whatnot, um, but we have a partnership with a co-working space called, called Spaces, kind of a WeWork competitor that's, that's all over the place. So mm-hmm. you've got sort of discounted access to co-working if you want to get out of the house a little bit. Um, working on some sort of fitness and wellness partnerships as well so yeah. you know we are, are trying to you know lean on, on on partnerships to sort of fill out the you know the, the offering
1: yeah no that's awesome it's really top like top shelf service like I like to think of the like if I was in Austin I want to go to Miami and just to be able to tell you guys hey like especially on the flexibility side of things I think being a person that does just work for my laptop you know I, I'm uh, pretty mobile uh, worker um, just that ability it itself is super appealing so I think that's really incredible what you guys have built um, I'm now I'm curious to you said something about master leasing and I'm, I'm glad you did because uh, I think we've seen a lot of people um, when you're saying you know, have to have a certain, uh, ADR to, in order to stay above um, th- that model did not quite work uh, a lot of people had to go to long-term leases and, and extend above that so they weren't getting that that turnover whether it's extended stay or vacation uh booking um so for i guess the audience i guess i'll ask a question what makes a good but not a great a good uh you know management company structure uh like that like what in the beginning made you think of not doing a master lease, but instead of doing a management agreement and kind of going about these like what what do you think makes that structure strong and sustainable
0: yeah, I, mean, I think sustainable is the is the key. And, you know, we we while we raise some money along the way, we, we never raised, you know, $100 million, we never raised like huge, huge rounds. And so, you know, if you've got to be fairly, if you're fairly capital constrained, uh, I always thought about putting the money into the service and the experience versus the property itself, you know, what, what what's what's a way to not have to invest in the property itself? That's kind of the whole point of the sharing economy, right? You're yeah. you're 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 taking you're leveraging an asset that already exists, right? The property's already, you in the old days, it's it's something it with someone's home. It's already furnished, you know. It, it's not something that you've got to go as the operator, you know, build, furnish, etc. Um, I think that model is definitely it's tougher to scale on this. It's slower to scale on the supply yeah. side. It's more sustainable. It's less risky, but it's slower to scale. Hence, you know, guys like Sonder are smart guys, you know, and it's, it wasn't a, it's not a, I don't think it's a dumb idea to, to do the master lease thing. I think it's a, it's a very, it's a clever idea in terms mm-hmm. of, Hey, how can we go get 50 units with one conversation instead of one, you know, right. <laughs> or, yeah. or, or how can we get a, you know, instead of having to talk to individually owned properties or property investors, how can we go to a multifamily 400 unit building manager and have a conversation with them yeah. because they were interested in management agreements or revenue share deals. So so I, I get why people went to the master lease model, yeah. um, but, and, and it still may, you know, if you really, if you're really well funded and you execute it really, really well, and ideally pandemics don't occur it, 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 it can work for for some folks i just think mm-hmm. it, it's very it's very risky and you and you've seen the you've seen it um fail on the corporate housing side as well you know yeah. not just in the pandemic but but prior i mean corporate housing invented the master lease model that that was what that's what corporate housing companies did they went and took leases on 10 units they rent furniture instead of buying furniture so it was a bit of an innovation in the sharing economy let's invest in the furniture to you know sort of give, give it a better uh, better design feel mm-hmm. but you know that's what corporate housing companies were doing 20 you know, 20 30 years ago and if you hit a period of a downturn or a period of low occupancy you're you're done right, right? so you know you've seen it sort of struggle in that sector you've now seen it struggle in the short term rental sector um, I, I think I think it's tough to to, to make it work. Um, so I think you know the sweet spot, which, which you know no one, including us, has really found. I think we're at one extreme where we're very we're very one off with the properties. It's individual homeowners, right? We're so it's very slow to scale, but it's also no risk, and that's great. And then you know, kind of Saunders of the world are on the other end of the spectrum. You know, taking you know long-term master leases, buying furniture, very capital intensive is what all of us in the space are trying to figure out now, especially in the urban space is, is there a way to hit that sweet spot in the middle where you're able to capture multiple units from the same operator, whether that's a, a developer or a multifamily property manager, can you go capture five, 10, 30 units in a building without taking a lease, right? Can you do it with a condo developer that no one's really done that yet? Can you do that in the condo space where, you know, in a city where, you know, maybe it's the the economy is not great and Mm. your um, sales are slow and you go tell the developer, hey, you've got units sitting here vacant. It's gonna take you 18 months to sell 200 high-end condos in Miami what if we took 20 or 30 and did a revenue share we'll manage it we'll invest in the furniture and we'll revenue share um would some of the multifamily uh, apartment operators that historically insisted upon a master lease would they be open to more of a management agreement a revenue share so we're we're poking around on that a lot of others a lot of others are as well um i think that that's the sweet spot and it's uh it's tough to find. I think internationally, it's a little bit different. Um, yeah. Multi-family isn't really how it works. Everything there is is condoed because there's no no financing. And, and many of you know, talking about sort of Europe outside of London and uh, and Latin America, you know, financing for real estate is tougher tougher to get. So a lot of you know, folks sell individual units to to finance de- developments or um, or they're very small buildings owned by kind of a mom and pop you don't have these 400 unit multifamily buildings. So abroad, I think it's a slightly different calculus than it is in the US, but either way, it's the same objective. How can you scale quality supply with minimal balance sheet risk?
1: Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And I think uh, it's interesting to hear because I've never been on the multifamily unit side. I've always been on the whole home rental. you know, castles, mansions, etc. And so to, to get into that space, because you're right, it's hard to scale uh, at the one-offs with investors that are, you know, buying these properties as investment properties uh, to eventually sell three, five years down the road. Um, so it's like all this hard work and then three years later or four years later, let's say you make right. enough revenue, they're gone, you know? So it's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. And so the, uh, the inventory scale, and scalability is just really is really uh, interesting. So it's cool to hear the the other side of the uh, I guess the fence or the grass is always greener, right? Um, so for me, I'm kind of curious now. Um, other than the work from the work from anywhere trend, where you guys are seeing you know the use of the uh, Oasis Passport, um, you know the digital nomad lifestyle uh, feel. Let's say post you know post pandemic. Uh, people are traveling. There's like that revenge travel that we're all kind of expecting um, that people are, are going to do. Uh, what what trend do you think would be another like key player or role play into the um, the overall recovery, but then a long-term trend that's no longer a trend, but it's actually part of the sustainable model that uh, property managers or management companies uh, take on?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Um on the demand side yeah you're going to have pent up leisure demand you're going to have the remote worker trend um, and 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 just maybe a, a, a continuation of of trends that were already occurring which is you know into rentals versus hotels right mm-hmm. and and yeah. and i think yeah I, I think it's been a little artificial a little overblown now i, I don't think that coming out of the pan- pandemic it's been all, all of a sudden you know hotels are over, right? I I think. Yeah. But, but, you know, a major event like this is certainly it's shown what a major event does is it it, it shakes things up and exposes people to a different way of doing things. Right. So there are probably people that hadn't done the vacation rental thing before, um, hadn't done work from home, hadn't done many things. Right. Um, and, and and did it for the first time, you know. So 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 once that's occurred, you can't you can't put that genie back in the bottle. So I, I do think you know there will that trend that was occurring before the pandemic has accelerated. I think it will continue. So you know that that all of those things are are very good for vacation rentals, you know, short term rentals. Um, I think to kind of more on the um, execution side. Uh, this won't be a surprise to anyone who's who's in the space is, you know, just you're going to have to up your game on on execution, right? I think the travelers are, they're they're nervous, you know, they're, they're going to be nervous. Even coming back, they're going to be nervous about cleanliness. They're going to be nervous yeah. about security. They're, they're just going to be on, on higher alert. Um, so I, I think, you know, p- people need to think hard about, you know, the service model and, um, and just their ability to to execute, you know, at, at the level that, that folks are going to be expecting, especially at the higher end, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit different if, if it's a sort of a more the young, you know, backpacker, uh, you know, budget seeking traveler. Um, but at the sort of higher end, certainly, you know, as someone who's dealt with with corporate, you know, corporate travel, just the, you know, there's a very, very high intensity around all of those yeah. sort of boring elements like <laughs> safety and security and cleanliness, et cetera. Yeah.
1: Well, I was gonna say, I think quality control, you know, that we're, we're gonna see um, uh, probably like a shift in inventory, you know, just higher end quality, um, like you, you're, you're talking about, because it, it is gonna require more for the traveler. Like they're gonna be expecting a little bit more hotel feel where it's kind of consistent across the, the board um, versus... Kind of like how you know every property is different and unique. Uh, We can't we can't a little
0: bit more of a roll the dice and yeah. Yeah. Hey, if it doesn't work out, it's not that big of a deal, right? Exactly. You know, if you're if you're you know a just with the heightened focus that I that I mentioned on on safety and quality, but then b if you're staying somewhere longer, right? Two nights, whatever. The property didn't work out, but it was a good location and it's two nights, right? But I'm going somewhere for two months. And I show up, and it's, eh, you know, like that's that's not gonna cut it. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. No, I agree. Well, in order to kind of wrap up this episode, I want to get your thoughts on, in the long term, you know, let's not even focus on COVID nineteen or any of the the, the pandemic stuff. Uh, where do you see Oasis being, uh, and the the impact is going to play in the industry uh, long term for travel and hospitality as a whole?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I really kind of on the back to the roots, you know. Comment. I I really, you know, think there's a great opportunity on this blending between traditional residential real estate and short-term rentals, right? And Mm -hmm. and 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 especially, you know, combining that with enabling a more, you know, international and 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 nomadic lifestyle. Like if if we can. There's no reason that they're not. They, there shouldn't be two, all these different asset classes, all these different niches, right? Like, is it a vacation rental? Is a short-term rental? Is a corporate rental? Is it an extended stay? Is it a traditional rental? Right? Like, I, I think there's just there's this huge space if you start to take a step back and think about people need a place to to live, right? And and and, and if you're um, if you're in a city, you need a nice apartment or a nice area that's furnished and has wi-fi and services and whatnot mm-hmm. that need is the same if you're there for three days or three months or a year so i i i really think there's there's something quite interesting in that intersection of you know rethinking the, the right re- this is where i live and then this is where i go when i travel and really bringing them together Definitely not saying I've cracked the code on it at all, yeah. but I think there I think there's a ton there, and, and, and there'll be many people that that attack it in, in various ways. Um, you know, maybe you know residential buildings themselves. Why don't they furnish? You know, why don't they furnish half the units and do them for three months or six months at a time and not twelve? Right? Like there's. Yeah. So I think people can come at it from that end, from the from the residential real estate end, and they can come at it from the other side, like we are the vacation rental short term. There's a ton yeah. in the middle there. So I think it's really that's interesting and exciting, and hopefully something that is a, a positive trend for our industry and and you know, just sort of like you know, life lifestyle in general, you know, a yeah. lifestyle trend in general as we as we move into the next years.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Coming from the hotel world, it's like, you know. If you're renting long-term uh, this is the amount of money you can make a year, right? That's 12, 12 months and you have a set rate per month. There's a set rate that you can make, but then having, like you said, like kind of like a hybrid maybe uh, where they, these ones are producing a lot of revenue on a high functionality type setting versus the uh, these ones are no matter what, going to maximum make this. And this one, who knows? And it's kind of a cool thing to play with. So I think it's pretty cool, pretty incredible. Um, but I just want to say thank you for, you know, being on the podcast. I've given a lot of uh, detailed thought and inside uh, scoop. It's, it's really cool for me as a podcaster to read an article on Skift about a company such as Oasis, uh, which is what I did when I first like heard about you guys. And then to see you guys at the ROR event um, where you were talking with Leo, Um uh, from guard hog and then flourishing into where we are today. So I just wanted to say, uh, I appreciate your time and what you guys are contributing to the industry and that you guys are continuing to innovate for, for the greater good. Um, it's pretty incredible. So thank you again for being on the show and dropping some, some nuggets onto the, the podcast into the audience. Awesome. Thanks. Well, pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcast.
1: What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in.